Hey, I'm Dave, and you're listening to another episode of Dying to Listen Podcast, presented by the Disc Golf Dyers Guild. So, today we have a really cool cat dyer. Cool cat dies. Chris, thank you for joining us on this little podcast here. Hey, Dave, thanks so much. Uh, excited to talk dying with you and uh, really excited with the uh, mission of the Dyers Guild, kind of spreading knowledge uh, all throughout the dying community. So I'm really excited to have you on and we have a lot to talk about and um, something special for learning. So we will mention that later, but let's get down to our regular boring program. So do you play disc golf? I do. I do play disc golf. Probably a common answer. <laughs> you know, I think I haven't found a dyer that hasn't played disc golf. There, there was a period of time where I had to take a break uh, due to injury. Um, mm. Might have something to do with why I got into dying. But So what got you into disc golf? So uh, I'm, I, I came up during the pandemic, uh, one of the uh, COVID dire boomer people, um, but not immediately. Uh my friends and I, we held on to ball golf for a while until all the ball golf places uh, got wise and figured they could start charging double, triple what they normally were. And we were looking for a cheaper hobby. Uh, golf's already pretty uh, expensive. And uh, yeah, so we, we transitioned over into uh, disc golf. What does disc golf mean to you and why do you like playing disc golf? Yeah, so for me, um, it's really about... Uh, kind of focus and being able to uh, hang out with my friend group. Uh, my disc golf friend group is really one of my most diverse friend groups. Uh, we have like three or four people with PhDs in it. Uh, you know, we have people that do all sorts of day labor jobs and stuff like that. Firefighters, you know, and everybody in between. It's, it's a really a true melting pot and it's really fun to get out and get everyone's opinions on the, uh, the state of the world and everything and just hug some discs at some baskets. So were these existing friends or did you make friends because of disc golf? Um, about 50, 50, uh, okay. obviously it's a blend. It's a process of blending the friend groups together. Um, and it's like, Oh, I know a guy, I know a guy, I know a guy. So, so did you convince uh, your friends or did your friends convince you to play? I think for me, it was a mixture of both. Um, I got my brother who's a much more, gifted athlete than I am uh starter set um and then I got starter uh, not a starter set myself I purchased three discs uh for myself to kind of go out with him um because I don't know for some reason I can't do the stock standard thing that everyone else does so I had to make my own custom starter set after researching you know had a polecat had a buzz because everyone's like the buzz is the best disc ever and then a leopard because that's also highly rated so pretty close to a starter set and um yeah about the same time i got that um my brother was saying oh i really enjoy it to a bunch of his friends and they're like oh yeah we play every once in a while too and then you know everybody we started clicking together and now you know we have a facebook group chat of 20 30 people strong all, all in the area that get out and play that is awesome um yeah my friend convinced me to play disc golf and um i'm glad he did because ta-da here i am where i am now <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's an awesome journey. Uh, so what got you into disc dyeing? So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm a big researcher. I'll research any hobby before I go into it. And I'm the type of person that'll go all in. So when I was getting into disc golf, uh, I was on Reddit, you know, again, researching what, what's the first three discs I should buy. And, um, 
you know, on the regular disc golf uh, dying or the disc golf Reddit, you'll get people who post thighs occasionally. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Put it in the back of my my mind and didn't really think about it too much. Um, At some point, uh, somebody in my friend group's like, yeah, you know, I tried this out. I had uh, he had a Berg and took I think it was like alcohol dyes and um, just kind of uh, used like a dropper to just like splatter effect it all over his disc. It was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, add some color onto it. And I just wanted to give it a shot as well. So I went out uh, off Amazon, didn't know where to buy stuff. Uh, Got the like pro chem bold color kit or something like that. And then took it away from there, did my my first eyes and then uh, took it away. And then after that, though, um, I I just did a few discs for me and my friends. I uh, injured my shoulder while playing disc golf. I tore my rotator cuff. for extremely bad form work on your form everyone that's my tip number one and uh i was out for about six months there uh recovering from it and uh was like i want to stay involved with you know all my friends so i'll start dying discs for people uh that's awesome that you got into this dying bad that you well maybe it's good because that's got what got you into this dying so yeah. yeah, definitely what took it to the next level from like, a, you know, every once in a while thing to doing it much, much more, getting more practice in. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember the first die that you did? I did. I have the disc. I can show you as well for the uh, the viewers at home. It didn't sell. Yeah. <laughs> it did, I didn't give it away. I kind of wanted to keep it as a memento. It's probably who what um, 2001. So almost two years old at this point, quite faded shaving cream dye here um and it is a leopard because i like leopards you'll notice a theme a caddy (laughs) theme i i tend to gravitate towards um things with cats on them things with cats in their name i've i probably have or bag every cat related disc in the world um so i dyed it on a leopard i did the shaving cream dye um You'll notice there's a ton of white on that disc um, because I was like, oh, I need to be I need to ration out my dye. I can't use too much of it. So I was like really ginger on the sprinkle and stuff like that. And then when I pushed it down, there was a bunch of air bubbles and other snafus on that on that particular dye. But yeah, that was the the first step in shaving cream dye. Well, I feel like unlike uh, most people, you were rationing out the dye. I feel like a lot of people like that's not enough dye. I'm going to put a shit ton more on this mound. Well, and and I mean, this was my first um, lesson in dying. I mean, I, I learned from every disc I die. Mm. The blue and red was so overpowering on on this disc and, and all the first discs that I did. It's just you have it. If you're thinking about trying to balance it out, those colors are so much more potent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can really blow out a disc's kind of design by putting way too much blue or way too much red on it. And did you say that you started out with Pro Chem? I did. Yeah. Yep. The pro chem little starter pack thing on Amazon. Nice. Again, I researched and everybody's like, oh, pro chem's the best. It was I, I, I got in probably about nine months after everyone who had nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in terms of uh, good ish resources. Um, and so it, people were pretty established on. Yeah, pro chem's the stuff to go with. Um, you can try other things. I die poly's OK, but like. It's where you want to go. 
Did you buy Pro Kim when they didn't like label it as disc golf die and it was dispersed? Uh, yeah, it was in little baggies, and I think it was uh, yeah, it's Pro Sperse is I think yeah. the uh, the the polyester blend mm. of them. So yeah, and then they did that whole rebranding, and I think you could probably go to their site and just use the Pro Sperse dies if mm. you wanted to. Yeah, I don't think the colors are any different. Yeah, uh, have you used I die? I have. Um, I use I dye poly black for my hot dips, um, which I'm changing over to Onyx as I. But I mean, hot dip material lasts for pretty much ever, so yeah. <laughs> it'll it, it'll be that for a while. Um, I tried out a bunch of the different colors. There's um, uh, I dye has dye has what it's a gunmetal or something like that mm -hmm. it's some sort of like silvery type thing um i don't do much with it um but i've i've mixed it up before um to test it out and see how it works gotcha have you ever used the, i dye brown um i don't know i actually i don't think i could for for the longest time um i never shopped at craft stores so mm. it was whatever at the whim of big amazon unfortunately <laughs> and Several things are bad when you shop at Amazon. Uh, mostly is sellers will put things up as like I die poly and it's mm. not I die poly, which means you will be returning that mm -hmm. <laughs> unless you want to uh, die discs. So it, it's that like little distinction. Um, I've not used their brown specifically, though. Gotcha. Um, do you remember your second disc that you've died? Uh, it was in the similar fashion. Uh, I did three shaving creams right in a row. Um, I think I maybe even did them all in like at the same time, um, which was bad from a learning perspective because they all came out roughly the same. Mm -hmm. um, but I gave the other two to my friends um, and they they gladly hooked them. I haven't seen them out on the course in a while, <laughs> so they might have gotten shelved or thrown into a lake or something like that. <laughs> Permanently shelved. Yeah. In the river. Um, what other dye methods have you tried or experimented with? So I'm very much a generalist. Um, I approach this hobby with, I just, I want to try everything. Um, cause how, how are you going to know what you like to do unless you try it? Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I've gone through the evolution. Um, I, I started off with shaving cream, um, went to, I think it was white glue beds. Um, then like I tried a hand cut stencil. I've, I've tried everything under the sun. Um, I, I truly don't know if there's a dye method that I haven't tried out yet. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. With all those methods, two part question, what is your favorite method? And do you think you have a uh, signature style? I'll go with the signature style first. I don't. Um, and I, again, I just try to be a generalist and try to be okay at everything <laughs> or, or pretty competent at everything. It's what the Jack of all trades, um, master of none. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd say some I'm, I'm pushing pretty close or, or, or there's some that it's easier to get good results. Um, would you say that you're a copycat? I would probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I really use the Instagram save uh for later collection button uh on people's stuff i'll see something cool boop, i'll i'll snag it for later and i'll try to evolve it in some way i think that's an important part of the artistic process is you don't want to necessarily copy 
verbatim um, unless you're trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some people's styles, uh, they're so unique uh, that like it it's going to come off as a copycat either way. A, a couple of tires come to mind with that. Um, but yeah, I and I've started gravitating more towards um, Floetrol, using Floetrol just in general. Um, not so... Uh, I certainly do cells with Floetrol, um, but I've been really playing recently with Floetrol without any uh, silicone oil added in. Um, you still get, I think, a lot of that like vibrant color. Um, I don't know. Mixing dye with Floetrol gives me really, really good saturation results, um, and you can get a lot of variety. And Floetrol still has the properties of not letting those colors mix too easily, um, so you can get some really cool effects with them. What is your um, mixture for dye and Floetrol, and how do you create that? So, yeah, um, this is one of the things that I find really interesting about how dyeing has evolved over the past, we'll call it three years. Um, You had everybody, like, I'll I'll just call out, I think it was uh, Tiffany Shaw's recipe. Um, I think it had, like, glue in it and Floetrol and, like, some silicone oil and I dye poly color intensifier and stuff like that. I think we've seen a simplification. Everyone's just been trying to simplify their like secret recipes to like, does it actually matter or not that I put three drops of this in or not? So my Floetrol recipe is four ounces of Floetrol, half a teaspoon of dye, which I suspect is on the high end. I don't think you probably need to use that much dye. Um, And then I do put a couple of drops of the color intensifier in mainly cause I have it and I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy I dye poly to put color intensifier in your flow trawl, but it's just going to go to waste. Um, so I don't know. We'll call it for good luck. I do notice though, when I put that in, you can see little like almost droplets of that oil or whatever it is hmm. floating on the top of the flow trawl. I don't know if that does anything. Um, I assume it does not, but yeah, just flow flow trawl and uh, die. That's basically it. I feel like that would be something the detectives should test is, does the color intensifier actually do anything with various mediums? Yeah, I was really excited um, when I, basically I pitched you the idea. I didn't I didn't come up with this. You already had the idea. I thought I had a unique idea, which happens from time to time. But I was really excited that you're kind of tackling that, we'll call it like the Mythbusters mm-hmm. space. Um, I think that's how you can get a lot of advancement and a lot of simplification, which just as you simplify things down, like if somebody thought they needed glue and flow trawl and all this stuff to do a flow trawl bed but all mm. they needed was flow trawl and a little bit of dye uh which is what my recipe is um you know that that lowers the barrier entry it gets more people experimenting and it really advances absolutely um so for your flow trawl do you mix on demand or do you put them in containers if you put them in containers what size i mix them on demand currently I find that part of the disc dyeing process to be the most annoying. So I, I, um, my dad was up at a, uh, Dick Blick, uh, art supply store and they had 16 ounce bottles on clearance. 
And I was like, buy literally everyone. <laughs> so <laughs> I am going to start mixing up uh, big batches. Um, I Part of this was um, I have lotion that I mixed two or three years ago at this point, and it is as sharp as the day it was. So I, I don't think dye really degrades, at least in lotion and probably not in Floetrol um, in the ways we maybe think we do. So yeah, make a big batch so you don't have to do it ever again. And then again, that lowers your your barrier to dye in a disc. If I don't have to come down here and prep dyes for 30 minutes before I dye a disc and I can just squirt some stuff in the bed and go, you know, I'm going to dye more discs and cooler things are going to happen. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. That's prepping. Everything is the annoying part. That's not the fun part. Um, and it can take a while. Have you noticed any issues with Floetrol just sitting there over the years? The reason um, I ask is I, I feel like some people say that they get like little boogers or goopers in there. Um, and some people like to strain the Floetrol to not get those in there. There's definitely Floetrol boogers, as we'll call them. Gross term for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I know exactly what you're talking about. It, it does describe. I don't know what Floetrol is. If I had to guess, I would guess it's just acrylic paint. It's acrylic paint with some other properties mixed in. Um, so I think that's probably just like dried or congealed like acrylic paintiness. That, that's how Floetrol kind of performs if you've ever let a Floetrol bed like sit for a couple of days. Like it feels like you're pulling off paint. Um, mm -hmm. So and it makes sense because it's an, an acrylic paint additive. So you would assume it's roughly the same thing as mm -hmm. what it is. Um, so I, I don't know what the secret sauce is. It's probably some sort of oil or something that they put in it to make it not um, not blend together. So are you just using Floetrol for beds or do you use it in any other way to dye a disc? I just use it for beds. I will put down uh, Floetrol. This is another advantage that I really like about Floetrol is the sustainability of it. If you're careful or not putting too many colors in, you can dye disc after disc after disc in Floetrol. And you certainly can in other methods as well, like uh, glue beds and stuff. It, it tends to lift up most of the dye and you can reuse some of that. But I found Floetrol to be one of the more economical uh, ways to dye a bunch of discs in a row. Um, maybe not so much if you're doing like one disc a weekend because the, the bed would go bad. Um, but you can, if, if you have a cool bed, you can generally kind of revive it um, over and over again. You can put more Floetrol on top of it and kind of like redo the bed and then all the other stuff will bubble up through if you're using silicone oil. So how many times can you reuse a bed or do you average using a bed? The max I've done is six. I suppose you could do more. Again, I'm a little skimpy with materials um, in general, so I don't. I try not to mix. I I, I use those um, big ultimate Franklin frisbee discs to dye uh, Floetrol. Sometimes I'll use uh, like a nine inch cake pan, but those take probably about uh, sixteen ounces of Floetrol to like before they're like filled up, and then once you put a disc in, you know you're risking maybe overflowing. Um, so I, I tend to go on the lesser side of things. So I, I generally only use about 16 ounces of Floetrol when I mix up a bed, which is like four little mini solo cups. Gotcha. What, um, 
I guess, what methods do you use for Floatrol to create your patterns or designs in the bed? So I've been using Floatrol recently, very much how I've seen people utilize um, glue beds um, where they'll they'll put down their like stripes of color um, where you kind of make like crisscross. You basically make a bunch of X's of color and then you can like kind of manipulate the disc and roll it around and you'll see like your center blob moving around and it's going to start like long swirling um and yeah just trying to do that um when i do uh when i do cells i generally will do a pour cup or i'll cut the bottom of a solo cup and pour in over and over again um and let it kind of seep and ooze out um as it as it breaks that surface tension. Nice. Um, do you ever do like chameleon cells? I have tried it. Um, I have not figured out the timing or it might be a thing of like, I'm using too little flow troll and I have to squish the disc down too much. Every time I've done chameleon cells, the like cell webbing part has come out really blurry. Hmm. Um, and I was talking about earlier, I'm in a basement here and it's pretty cold. So like, and I, I need to, I think, do all the prep for the chameleon cell. I haven't tested this yet. Flip on my heat lamp just to get the whole bed warm, then do my swipe and then try to get it. Cause it's really hard to see where you've dotted oil while doing chameleon cells. Hmm. Um, if they're not starting to form cells pretty immediately. Yeah. So obviously you use a heat lamp. How long do you typically let the bed sit under heat and do you even know what temperature roughly? Um, yeah, I actually, I've, I've hit it with a temperature gun. I get somewhere around 120 to 140. Um, I don't know if we can see it here. I have a monitor arm and I have my heat lamp on that and it, it can adjust up and down so I can get like if, if I'm trying to develop cells, I'll I'll squeeze the arm down mm. and um, let it sit really close to the bed. So I'm, I'm sure it's cooking to almost boiling. Like I'll sometimes come down here and I'll see steam rising <laughs> off of it. But that's if I want to. I'm a very impatient person. And from what I've listened uh, to this, you you are a similar way. Yes. Um, so I just crank heat on things. Um when I'm dying a disc, if it's, we'll call it just like your stock standard opaque premium plastic, which mm. almost every uh, brand has, I'll go for about an hour and 45 of heat lamp. Again, like pretty far away, probably at like 120, 130, somewhere in there. Um, if I'm doing champion or translucent kind of plastics, um, those I generally double um, just because they they sometimes have issues. Yeah. So you are in a basement that is cold. Do you dip a cold disc into the bed or do you preheat the disc? I've never tried preheating the disc, but that sounds interesting. Um, from everything I've researched, that should help it soak up dye faster. Um, basically, you're just shaking the plastic particles in the disc and it's going to absorb that dye quicker. So yeah, I guess that would be a way to, you know, go even further. <laughs> yes. That's another thing that the detectives need to test. There's a lot of things. I need to stop doing this podcast. <laughs> Start doing science. 
Get a, uh, get a lab coat. <laughs> yeah. I don't think people realize that it takes a lot of work to do that kind of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I had to sate my own curiosity on something. I can, I couldn't wait for the detectives, but like yeah. I had to test the different times to see how a saturation effect would evolve basically. And I, I just had to basically, I was like, okay, this is one minute of dye, two minutes to die, five minutes, 10 minutes, mm-hmm. all the way up to five hours. And just to see how the saturation evolved. So I needed to know. I, the most surprising part of it was how much you could see visible dye after a minute mm. that didn't come off. And I was like, it's kind of amazing to me. <laughs> it also speaks to the permanence of yeah. when we're dying discs. Like it, you are writing in pen when you're, mm. when you're dying in, in discs. there's no erasing. Yeah, I know. I mentioned this or we talked about it on another podcast. It's um, not the easiest medium to do artwork on because you can't erase it. Once it's on, it's on. So. Yeah, I, I stencil bleeds are the bane of my existence. It's like, ah, oh, it was so good. You've you've spent so much time and then a bleed happens and you're like, well, hopefully the person's OK with it. <laughs> um, so on the topic of stencils, um, what vinyl cutter do you have? The type of vinyl cutter I have is a Cricut Expression 2, I think it is roughly 20 years old i i think um let me explain to you my vinyl cutter this is part of why i don't like to do stencil work i had to do so much engineering work to get it to work so these are cricket cutters that were made for arts and crafts um they have like a nintendo 64 cartridge that has what you're able to cut out they have a special little floppy keyboard that you put onto the machine so it knows when it's in this cartridge, this is the keyboard to interact with your Cricut machine. Um, and then you can like print a star or print a circle, print boring things. Um, what you can do though, is you can get some like modified cutter DLL files and have it like trick it to be able like, ignore everything on this cartridge. Now this is on the cartridge and now you can cut SVGs. So that is what I do. It crashes roughly one in every three stencils. <laughs> and like, it's just midway through the cut, it stops and that's it. Start over. <laughs> and so, and if you're cutting a stencil that takes like two hours, which it's not particularly fast, um, that is frustrating. Uh, I hope you got that device for free. I did. Yes. I did pay the uh, wonderful price of free. That's good. Um, Yeah. I feel like you jailbroke that old version of the cricket. Um, I think you might. Well, do you like doing stencils? Here's what I will say about stencils. I think it can produce and frame some of the most interesting art you can put on a disc. Um, you can only do so much with like glue beds and stuff like that. So if you're truly trying to like make something, I'm not going to say stencils are the best because there's definitely really cool non stencil discs that you can die. But it, a lot of people ask for things they like and you can't like abstractly through flow trawl die. I don't know, a sports team logo on a disc. <laughs> so, so it's, it's kind of what, the market demands sometimes. I don't like doing stencils though. They take a lot of work. 
if you mess up applying it to the disc. There's a lot of parts in the stencil process <laughs> that can go wrong. And so if I'm dyeing a disc, I do the stencil part first. Yeah. And then if it comes messed up, whatever. But I, I try to get that out of the way. And it's very nerve wracking the <laughs> entire stencil process. So I just, I truly don't like doing it. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, that I think the stencil is the most involved process, say hand painting something on, but yeah, there's a lot of steps and things that could go wrong. Yeah. And I think the difference is, I think there's a lot of things that can go wrong that wouldn't necessarily be in your control. Like if you get like a little micro tear in your stencil or like part of the adhesion, you know, if you're hot dipping, part of the adhesion comes off and part of your stencil goes away. It's like frustrating. Uh, the nice thing about if you did truly just hand painting the whole way, um, you have full control over that the whole time. So any errors you make that that's on you. It's not yeah. uh, my stupid vinyl got messed up again. Yeah, I think anything that can go wrong with the stencil has happened to me. The worst is when you apply a stencil and it's a very detailed stencil with a lot of cuts, but it's off centered. Oh yeah. Uh, that, I, I've not solved that particular problem yet. I think the other thing that I've had happen is I'll work with the SVG, not mentally clock that it's not a square center it up. Mm -hmm. And then I've started cutting circles around all of my stencils to just like see how it'll look on the disc or you get an kind of a lopsided looking stencil like mm -hmm. I don't know say uh, let's talk about like Pikachu for a second if you wanted Pikachu on your disc I've not done this yet but he's a lopsided thing like his little tail would look weird if he was perfectly centered on the disc you'd want to like compose that better so it would actually be off center to make it feel more centered so mm -hmm. I've been trying to frame my um, stencils before cutting them and then i do the little trick where you cut a little tiny dot in the center of wherever you think center is and then uh, go through the laser pointer process question do you put the vinyl on top of the disc or the disc on top of the vinyl i'll blow your mind i'm a switch hitter <laughs> what if if the if the disc is flat i will vinyl on sticky side up and push the disc down onto it if it's a flat disc if it's a domey disc i do it the opposite way and i kind of fold the vinyl like a taco mm -hmm. basically yep. and then try to make contact there and then put it out so okay well the second way is the right way the first way that's just only sandwiches do that so <laughs> yeah um, there is that um have you tried any other method besides hot dipping for stencils i have not i've been always doing research a lot of people talk about how they get better control doing some sort of alcohol mixture mm -hmm. um or lotion to do like a stencil black on their lotion i don't like working with my hot dip mixture um it's just kind of annoying it's a lot of equipment to bring out you can however get results in 10 minutes so depending on what what you're doing um also i don't know if it's my vinyl but it has stickiness issues sometimes. Sometimes it's too sticky. Sometimes it's not sticky enough and I get bleeds everywhere. Um, I can't name and shame it because I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> it's it's some, some brand I got off Amazon. <laughs> gotcha. Well, you should try the best vinyl. Well, everything is subjective, but try the Oracle 651 if you haven't. 
I've heard Oracle over and over again. I know yeah. mine is not Oracle because <laughs> yeah. I think it's on, on my shopping list. Yeah. I've tried like the off brand stuff. Um, I've test that. So the detectives that kind of came from me doing a test of different brand vinyls to see for cut settings and what would work the best. But, um, yeah, I had some off brand vinyl and it, it sucked. Have you had any luck using um, contact paper as like a mask? Not necessarily for a stencil, but like if you wanted to like mask out the rim or mask over an existing stencil to do some tying. I have, um, and I've only done mild dyes with it. Nothing like with extreme heat or extreme time. Um, and I have paper transfer paper that I use to mask stuff off and it so far seems to be working nice yeah i'm always looking for tips to mask things um the recent one i don't know if i'm sure i learned it from someone i did not come up with this um but they were using electrical tape to mask the rims of um the i think it's axiom who does the like can do white colored rims on the gyro stuff mm -hmm. so if you want to like mix it up or just preserve the color of one of those rims i've been trying it out with electrical tape and it works great because it's got that perfect amount of like stretch and yeah. you can really uh work it around the curve of the disc and uh yeah it's been working great so shout out that is was from ivan from delicious discs that put okay video. yeah i i have listened to most of the podcasts here i think i'm maybe I got two left uh, from current from right here. Um, so I'm sure I heard it from them <laughs> again, always doing research. Yeah, no, uh, that's impressive that you listen to all but two. That's a lot. I didn't listen to a couple <laughs> of the first ones too, uh, just cause I got in a couple late, but I they're, they're unplayed on my podcatcher of choice. So I'll go back and listen to them when I run out of content. <laughs> nice. So with dot disc dying, why do you like disc dying? And what inspires you to keep disc dyeing? So one of my motivations for starting disc dyeing in general is I was in therapy at the time and working through some issues with perfectionism um, where, again, from doing so much research and I, I, I was, a, I was the kind of person that had to get everything right and suffered pretty extreme anxiety when things could possibly go wrong. Um, one of the things I worked with my therapist as I mentioned disc dying is this could be a possible outlet where I can try to fail more intentionally. Um, so as I've been working through my journey of learning this skill, um, there were a couple of rules I put in place right away. One was anything that touches die is getting posted on my Instagram at some point. It maybe doesn't get posted right away if I think I could save it or something, but that that's one of my creeds. You can go back and you can, you can actually see a pretty, I think, uh, evolution in process. Like the first you know, 15 are really rough. And then you start getting a few hits here and they're like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And then, you know, I, I think most of the stuff I've been, <laughs> it's not to say I don't do any failures. I, I, stuff happens all the time, but being comfortable with that process of it doesn't need to be perfect. It can be imperfect. I think one of the things, um, and this is gonna, if there's perfectionistic dyers out there, uh, this will go to it. I do really enjoy looking at people's discs and be like, ah, there was like a little bubble there. <laughs> Something like that. And that's, and that's just for my own acknowledgement. And that would really bug me before, but 
it's just part of the process. It's, it's what's, it's what's there. Um, and it's becoming comfortable with you're probably as the person that worked with it. Cause you're so close to it. The only one that's ever going to notice it. Mm. Um, and I've, I've given discs to my friends before, um, or, and other people I've done commissions for. And it's like, Oh, I know this is like messed up here. And they're like, Oh no, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. It's just like realizing that you're probably your own hardest art critic and you can push past that. That is awesome that you are doing that. Uh, because this dying, I can definitely see be hard for a perfectionist because I don't think you can ever get a disc perfect. There's always going to be something, some little thing. And um, like you using this as I, I guess call therapy to get comfortable with that. That is awesome. And yeah. congrats for you on doing that because I know that getting out of your comfort zone is not easy. Um, so again, kudos. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a huge help, a huge tool in the in the tool bag and has opened up other doors and <laughs> in leveraging my perfectionism for good and not for it owning me. <laughs> yes, um, I feel like I'm a perfectionist as well. And one thing that has helped me is to just do it. It doesn't have to be perfect. If you never do it, then, well, you'll never find out. And what's the point? Just do it. Fail forward learn from your mistakes. Nothing's going to be perfect. It's probably going to bug the fuck out of you, but you know, <laughs> you'll, uh, you'll learn to, to love the randomness and, um, chaos sometimes of disc dying. Yeah. Pra practice makes progress is what I go for. Not yes. practice makes perfect. N that. Nothing makes perfect. Perfect. Perfect happens, uh, accidentally <laughs> serendipity. So, that, There's a lot of luck involved in perfect. That is a great quote that perfect is an accident. Sweet. Um, so what is the hardest part of disc dying and what is the easiest part? So the hardest part for me is um, like the preparation and the cleanup, the boring, chory parts of disc dying. Um, the waiting is only half uh, hard for me, uh, waiting around for the discs. Um, I'm lucky enough. It's off screen. I, I have a ranch style house and I have a, uh, disc golf basket in my basement that I can put out to 40 feet in my basement granted with a low, like eight to 10 foot ceiling. So I'm a good spin putter. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that, I, when I'm waiting for something in bed, I'll go over and practice my putting game. Um, so that's cool there. The easiest part is just sending it really um it, that would have bothered me before i would have wanted to make sure like the bed looked perfect and and like especially when doing like glue like swirl dyes and stuff like that it's like oh am i over mixing it do i need to throw this uh bed out and start over i i will say i've never thrown out a bed i don't know it seems wasteful i'll i'll just i'll send something and see what happens and learn from it that way um i I'm not the type of person that my Floetrol bed looks weird um, because who would know? There's been beds that I have been like, this is going to look awful. And sometimes it does, but sometimes it's really cool. And there is literally only one way to find that out. That That is very interesting. 
Um, and with your perfectionism, do you have any fail stories or any memorable fails? I do. I have all sorts of them and they're <laughs> stacked up here. Um, this will, uh, I would consider the first disc I ever died a somewhat of a fail story. Um, it, it just like, there's so much white undyed stuff here. Um, it just didn't come out. Well, I, it's so faded now, but there was like huge, I've never liked shaving cream, but there's like huge gashes of not really color there. That was one that didn't turn out well. Um, I didn't think about this at the time when I was making this particular disc, but if you've ever had the season fall, uh, it's, it's a red, <laughs> orange, and black. This is unthrowable for like half the year. Um, did not turn out how I wanted it. I think I made it actually around fall too. I'm like, I want like a Halloween looking like splotchy disc. And I don't know. It just, it came out super bad. Didn't, didn't really like that. Um, and this is kind of like the evolution of like how I approach failure nowadays. This is like a really muddy flow trawl bed. Um, like if you don't focus on the spin dying, that's how I kind of quote unquote saved it. But like, it, it was just, it was a rainbow bed that I used two or three times at this point. And this was like the third one that went in. I was like, when you're looking at, I'm covering up the microphone with the disc. <laughs> when you're looking at a bed or you're looking at dye that's mixed, very rarely does it look exactly like what it would dye to your disc. That's one of the tricky things when you're working with color um, is all of your blues if you mix them all together in solo cups would look incredibly similar. So when you're looking at a bed, you have to kind of trust that your dyes working properly and will actually be different colors. So like this, this was an example of one of them that like, it looked a little muddy, but I could still see very clear splotches of color. But by the time you like squish the disc in and it kind of does a little more mixing right on the pan, um, it didn't, it didn't really, uh, come out the way I wanted. Um, there was a bunch of issues. Like there was like right here, like white on the outside where it just didn't make adhesion with the bed and a lot of issues, but spin dyes fix a lot of things. <laughs> um, and so you could do things like, you know, put some cool rings to distract people from it or like <laughs> dye the back and make it all rainbowy. And like that, that's kind of how I approach it nowadays. So that was a disc that was like sitting around, um, in my basement here for, a couple of weeks. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I'm not posting you on Instagram right now. <laughs> You're going to sit in timeout until I figure out what to do with you. And I, I have a couple of discs in that form at the moment. Well, I mean, you showed the discs and I don't think they're necessarily fails. They're all good. Um, I mean, I've had worse fails than those. Um, but lesson learned spin dies fix everything. Absolutely. <laughs> Love spin dying. Um, I think you've said it a million times here. In most cases, it doesn't really feel complete mm -hmm. until you've framed your disc up with a spin die. Yeah. Um, I was really attracted to uh, just stock standard MVP discs for a while just because they had that black edge mm. and it just made things look great and mm. framed and just was awesome. Um, but I can dye whatever color edge I want on any disc of any manufacturer. So. Uh, what, uh, record player do you have to do spin dice? Oh, that's a wonderful question. I don't have a record player. What? Um, I am a very engineery person. I didn't make <laughs> this. Um, you'll get to see it. Uh, we call this spindola. 
This is a photo. <laughs> You'll notice some engineering work. This is a uh, photo. Um, like you'd put something on it and it's, mm-hmm. it, it's made to rotate at, uh, I think Amazon clocked it at one revolution per minute or maybe two. You cannot die discs at that. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we upgraded the motor onto it. And by we, I have no electrical engineering skill. <laughs> Buddy, help me out with this. We upgraded the motor on it, uh, applied a variable control circuit board to it. So it can spin at like, I think up to like 120, 130. It can spin very fast, <laughs> but it has like no torque because um, it wasn't mm-hmm. designed for that. So any pressure if I like press down on a disc kind of like stops and disengages it, mm-hmm. which is not ideal for spin dying. Um, and yeah, so that's what I use. Uh, I need a record player. I was too cheap uh, to buy one. I tried all the thrift stores around me and I think with the resurgence in vinyl, which I do have a record player for vinyl records that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not use it for disc dying, mm-hmm. but like, I, there was nothing in the thrift stores and the stuff. It was like, oh, here's like a belt drive for like 120. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to pay that. So I will just wait. And I, I made that for probably 60 bucks um, mm-hmm. all in. And it works OK. <laughs> what What is your biggest gripe about that? Uh, mainly the torque. If you press mm-hmm. down on it, it it slows the disc super hard to center. I know you have tools for that <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know if it would work um i do have this like cork board that well one i love that i could draw on this um mm-hmm. anybody who has a record player just like draw a bunch of these reference lines it makes if you don't have a what do you call it the dave's da- spin yeah go for it dave's spin die rig available now at dyer's guild yes. <laughs> <laughs> um so if it doesn't uh, uh it doesn't have that. It does have a center nubbin, um, which is just a screw that I glued on there. <laughs> um, there's nothing in that spot. There was like a little LED light to be able to shine light on whatever you're photographying. Hmm. Very strange. But it was fun taking it apart and making it do what I need it to do, which is spin in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, I saw people, I was inspired. I saw people like, I think there was one guy, he, he took like a box fan mm-hmm. and cut open the grates of it and was just like, this is how I'm doing it. That, that's the kind of energy <laughs> I really enjoy. And I love seeing other people bring to Distine, uh, especially, yeah, back in the, the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, how is your DIY device for, um, like the actual plate of it the stability is it like really wobbly or is it pretty even keel no it 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 does pretty well i don't know how much of that is like just the mechanics of like the cork board or whatever um but no it doesn't doesn't move around again i can kind of stop it if i press too hard on it like Mm -hmm. if i'm using like a q-tip or something like that to apply dye um and then it's not like super firmly attached. Um, like I would have issues. I think if, um, I put like a cake pan with shaving cream on top and you know, so how sometimes mm. people do those like mm. swirly dyes. I think the second I started putting any pressure, it would just like stop and probably not do what it needs to do. Mm. Um, just because I think it's a safety feature of the device where it just disengages the, the sprocket. I was going to say, um, 
like I'm really curious now. Um, the internals for that, how yeah. is it driven? Is it gears or belts? It's, it's gears. He had to 3D print a gear to um, step the motor closer than what the original like mm. specifications were for. Or he had to, I think it was like he had to up gear it or down gear it. It's not my style of engineering. I don't know what he did with the gears to make <laughs> to make it work. Um, but he had to print a different one um, to get it to work at the RPM and get the teeth all lined up right. Hmm. So if you count the hours we put into it, <laughs> I should have just bought a turntable, I think is the lesson we learned here. But it's a labor of love. And no. I like having it around. No, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, gets gets me going. So that, that's fun to um, do that. So. You know, with the cost of record players, yes, you can get like a record player, like one of those briefcase ones for, um, like I've got one for twenty bucks, like at a Woot deal, and I I bought like five of them. <laughs> oh man, it's been a hot minute since I've been to Woot deal. Uh, yes. Maybe I should look there again for cheap record players. Yeah, no, definitely go check there. Um, I just randomly was looking, was like, huh, twenty bucks? You say only a limit of five? Damn, all of them. <laughs> yeah. But, but typically sure. they're like 30, 40 bucks. But anyways, um, yeah, I, I put a reverse switch on one of them and I plan on doing it with all of them because, you know, the engineer in me is like, what if I want to do like a lollipop spin backwards? Yeah, I will say, yeah, mine has the ability to go both directions. And that actually is incredibly helpful. Um, yeah. The variable speed's good, but being able to switch it in the other direction, just like depending on what you're doing or what you're fading in mm -hmm. and out, um, it, it really helps. Yeah. And um, for that reverse switch that I put in, I do plan on put, putting instructions of how to do that for anybody else that has like a briefcase um, turntable. There is soldering involved, but it's pretty minimal. Yeah. So th those briefcase ones are belt driven. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I guess mine's gear driven, which is probably, it's not, is that direct drive then if it's gear driven? I don't. I would say technically case. no, it is gear driven because I, I feel like direct drive is, it's a direct shaft from the electric It's motor. It's just the motors right there at the center yeah. doing all the work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and the advantage from what I understand is a direct drive um, you, you can rotate it both directions freely without the motor being on. Is that the advantage it has over belt driven or? I honestly don't know what I have works for me. So, yeah. you know, if it works for like some of the top professional spin dyers out there works for me. Yeah. I like the appeal of maybe I'll look into the briefcase ones cause they have a pretty small footprint. I know like I have upstairs for my actual records, like a Crosley, which I've seen some dyers use, mm -hmm. um, but that I don't have a huge space down here. So it would take up way too much of a dying footprint here. Yeah. I mean, for the price, it's decent. There's obviously some nuanced flaws that are not the greatest. And if you go pay more and get a quality one, it's, it's better. Um, like the, the, the platter can not be perfectly level and just slightly wobble when it turns, which again, for what I do perfectly fine. Yeah. We're not um, looking for pin pinpoint accuracy usually. Yes. Uh, and speaking of die accessories, what is your favorite die accessory? So I have a bunch. Um, I will go through like a best of best. This is the one I would highlight though. Um, these are mechanical pencil clutch holders. 
Um, and so like in here, these are perfectly sized to hold a Q-tip, <laughs> which is great. They're also perfectly sized to hold if you've ever done used like a wood skewer to do real detail work. Um, they hold that as well. The advantage for the Q-tip, it's like one, I was sick of getting dye running up the Q-tip and staining my fingertips, which uh -huh. is really annoying. Um, but it's like you dip in a color, you go spin, 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 do all your stuff and then just click. Okay. Holy Next shit. <laughs> you blew my mind because yeah. I have two of those. <laughs> two, um, what are they called? They're like architectural pencils. Yeah. Like I think the technical term, they're really hard to search for because I did not know what to call it. Yeah. I believe they are mechanical lead clutches. Yeah. Or, or architects pencils or whatever, but yeah, they're, they're meant to have mm -hmm. just a solid piece of graphite in them uh, yeah. to do or charcoal or whatever. And you can get them of different sizes. I have a bunch of different ones. Um, this is uh, Koinor, and it's a 2.5 millimeter, which I found is the perfect size for okay. this stuff. So that is my plug. Um, I really like that. That is that it, that was my huge upgrade to myself. Um, and I go through a lot of Q-tips and being able to change them out quick. It's been great. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. No, yeah. I'm um, I'm definitely going to have to do that after we're done recording. Yeah. Well, the first one I had was way too wide and I was like, well, I have the Q-tip and I put some electrical tape around the Q-tip to make it like fit snugly. And I was mm. like, I'm just going to experiment and find whichever one I need. So 2.5 millimeters, you could maybe get away with a three, um, but 2.5 is what you want to look for. I'm trying to think. I think I might have a two mil. We'll it see. It might be a little too tight, but it might still work. Yeah, it might not be like the cool quick, quick release. I know. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> love doing it. Just right into the trash can. <laughs> do it every day. No, that is awesome because then you have um, obviously more leverage and more control to do whatever you need to do with your fine motor skills. Yeah, it's just it's more comfortable to use as well instead of trying to hold on to a little toothpick and or uh, sorry, Q-tip. And if you're like me, you don't really like to waste anything. So it's like you can break the Q-tip mm -hmm. in half and now you got double if you're trying to hand hold a q-tip you are going to get dye on your hands uh from when you switch it to the other side and cause all sorts of problems so that that is my number one dye accessory um obviously to do spin dyes you need something that spins um i would say the second biggest one is though like my heat lamp love heat um to just crank saturation on discs mm. have you tried various uh q-tips to see is there like a standard diameter for Q-tip things? Um, I have only ever used Q-tip brand Q-tips. Mm. And then I got like just the pointed Q-tips, whatever the cheapest one on Amazon <laughs> was. Mm -hmm. um, I have not noticed there's a difference between them. Um, I know there's some Q-tips that are like wood, like they have like a wood, um, wood and then the cotton on it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm assuming they're all roughly the same size. Yeah. Hmm. All right. My mind is like, hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, moving on. What plastic type do you like to dye? So I will pretty much dye any opaque premium plastic. Um, opaque white, obviously, is the ideal. 
I dye a lot of neutron plastic because um, all of my buddies uh, that are uh, one of my biggest sources of commission work over and over and over repeat customers are all gyro heads. So um, that neutron plastic is great. Um, I recent I don't keep up with a lot of the dye or a lot of the disc manufacturing. So I didn't know for a while um, until I got a disc with it. A streamline plastic is the same. Right. It's all they're all the same, I guess, for them. Uh, it's Axiom, MVP and Streamline and Streamline's great because I don't know, I'm not super sold on the gyro technology being a thing. It does make the disc look nice and it probably helps the durability wear a little bit because it's that hard edge plastic. Um, so I really like that. Um, I also really like the Gateway Diamond um, and they have Diamond HD now. Um, it takes dye really, really well. I feel like Gateway is like one of the more slept on companies. Um, they've been around for a while, but they they got some cool stuff and they got some cool molds as well. I throw a lot of Gateway stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to say that's surprising that you picked Gateway because it is uh, uh, an underdog, I guess I would call it. Um, they're plastic for dyeing. It's really good. Um, their molds, I, I have honestly haven't thrown a whole lot of gateway stuff, but I know the wizard is very popular. Um, and you can get gateway discs relatively cheap and affordable, um, compared to some other manufacturers. So, um, yeah, that was the advantage of streamline for a hot minute, but mm. I think they're starting to climb up in price, but you could get streamline discs for just like two or three bucks cheaper than mm. the MVP counterpart. And mm. It was the same neutron plastic, so it took dye super well as well. Yeah. Well, um, I like your friend and friends, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm um, trying to think. I, I throw, I, I do a mixed bag. I have a, what is it, Terra. I have a Terra that I throw every once in a while. So, <laughs> yeah. some MVP. I don't know why I like MVP slash Axiom. Um, Maybe it's the cool colors. Maybe it's the names that they give the discs. Whatever. They are very, yeah, they got that technical engineering theming, you yes. know, like Tesla's volts and whatever. So, yeah, well, whatever. I liked them before they were cool. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your favorite colors to use for dye? I really like the neon kind of rainbow palette. Um, it's great. Um, the really bright colors just in general, um, one, it pretty much full stop there. Um, what's really cool is I use for spin dyeing. I, I use a lot of the quick quote worm dip UV stuff. So not only does it get the benefit of being really neon-y colors, um, but when you shine a UV black light on it, it looks awesome. Um, and it's really cool. Nice. So. Speaking of colors, we have uh, an announcement, I guess, for this podcast is you created, I would consider the first official course on the Dyers Guild website on color theory. So if anybody would like to learn more about color theory, like everything you would need to know for disc dyeing specifically on color theory, uh, you can head to the Dyers Guild website and look for courses and look for uh, the Cool Cat Dye course. So I think it's like an hour and 10 minutes, but it is very in-depth and 
like I said, you will learn everything that you need to know about that. Um, I guess, do you have anything you want to elaborate on that course? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll, I'll go with some background of why I created the course as the, why I created the course is my brother uh, wanted all of his discs dyed different shades of teal. <laughs> um, and there's not like a great teal color just right off the bat. Um, there is now, I think there's a new ProChem mix of like aqua teal or something like that, but there was nothing at the time that really fit his definition of teal. So I started mixing similar colors together uh, to try to get that color. It's like, well, does like neon key lime and uh, forest or does neon key lime and meadow get us anywhere? Or like how much blue do I need to put in? And there was a lot of experimentation and plug out to at the time you had just released your stencil to kind of like hexagon pattern. Um, that that's like a really great like color tester palette. So I used like six of those squares trying to find uh, or six of those hexagons to try to find the teal. So I really got interested in um, expanding your color palette and being able to mix together different colors and kind of showing the potential of that. So I boiled it down um, in the the course over two days, you're going to get really, really comfortable with mixing colors together. Kind of the magic of what we do during the course is we take just three colors and we're going to have it over here. You take three colors and you're going to get the like outer two rows of this disc. So like you start off with like a red, a yellow and a blue and you get so much variation just by mixing different ratios together, playing around with the exposure um, and the saturation. And we're, I'm just going to fully walk you through the exercise on how to make a disc that looks like that and start dying and how it interacts with discs specifically um, and how to take all the different uh, factors in mind. There's a lot of variables to disc dying and a lot of things can go wrong. Um, but it's, it's really an exercise in walking you through how to shift colors in different directions and do all sorts of stuff. And you'll learn a lot about the color wheel. Yeah. Learning the color wheel is very, 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 I don't want to stress this enough, very important. Um, so if you don't know it, or even if you do know it, I would highly recommend going through this course because it is die specific you'll get hands-on and you'll actually do it um and we have materials for you to buy on the website to go along with this course as well um it's really put together i said it was like an hour and ten but it does not feel like an hour and ten because it is pretty packed with um information and again you did a great job on that so um i would recommend anybody that does this dying to go check out this course and i'm not just saying that really go check out this course um, yeah and it, it's truly made for all different skill levels and i i designed it in mind from the ground up of if you're a person who just like uh, either went to the the dyers guild website or just have two or three or six dies sitting around and you're like oh I, I don't know what i can do with this you got gifted something um you know or or you want to buy a gift for a loved one in your life if maybe they're interested in this thing this will really show you that the potential that you can do a lot with very little and mm. and and you don't need to you know go after and buy every single shade and every single color um you can you can do a lot mixing yourself and 
from from what we heard, I think you had somebody on the podcast that was pretty close with ProChem, um, and they were talking about like that's all ProChem's doing too. They're they're hand mixing different core dyes together. Yep. So if you take some of their core dyes, you can mix up whatever you need for yourself. Yeah, and if you know, you can create your own custom colors if you know how to mix things, and if you need to match a color of a sports ball logo, you can totally do that. Yep. Yeah, that was one of my recent commissions. He, he was like, hey, I want the Miami Hurricanes. And they have like a very specific green and orange. And, you know, I, how how do you go about the process of matching that? Yeah, you know, you could take your chances and you'll have a green and a orange, but might not look great. Yeah. So, again, uh, the course is on the Dyers Guild website and it's dyersguild.co. And there is a course specific section. So, Again, I greatly appreciate you creating the, I would say, the first real course on there. I know it's a lot of work um, and kudos. It was really rewarding. And and I wanted to um, I wanted to do something at like the maximum potential of like what I think somebody would want to invest in in mm. doing some sort of intensive course there. And everything from now on is going to be easier. But yeah, I don't think there has been a color theory specific instructional thingamabob or for design that I've seen. No. And I, I reference it in my appendix. There's a lot of, you can watch a lot of traditional color theory stuff on, on YouTube and stuff, but like applying it specifically to dying, there's a lot, there's, there's a couple, I won't spoil it. There's a couple of very key subtleties between like mixing paint and then applying dye to a disc. Um, um, there, there's some, some tricks there. Well, go check that out. Um, moving on. Um, so what do you want to do, experiment, or expand on, or take your dying skill to the next level? Like, what is the next thing that you want to try or do? So one of the big things for me is increasing my consistency. But more than that is I want to increase my sustainability. I want to be able to reuse glue more. I was really bad about reusing supplies. And part of that was I was in, I started off as the one disc a weekend dyer and nothing's going to survive, you know, 12 days later <laughs> down in your basement. So being able to um, doing things like saran wrap or using um, Floetrol or actually one of the things I was thinking about people who use glue will like they'll take their glue and they'll rebottle it um and it's just kind of the average of the color i was thinking like as long as i don't do like a rainbow flow trawl bed because that would mix up to brown basically um if i have like a mostly blue flow trawl bed i'm guessing that's still mostly blue flow trawl so like bottle that back up and when i do my next flow trawl experiment lay that down and uh really like start getting some of those average colors plug back to the course uh what we teach in there will probably help you understand what your mixture is going to turn into um and how you can utilize that so so really increasing my sustainability is uh one of the things the other thing i really want to do is we've seen some like new techniques cropping up um like chameleon cells are like kind of new and and i mean some of this is like we'll call it borrowed from other versions of art. I don't know if chameleon cells came from like the acrylic pouring world. Maybe they did. I, 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 I get all the same uh, Instagram reels. Everybody else does when you follow a lot of art channels, but 
trying to develop out like a new technique and just really experimenting it. So like I have a peanut butter jar and I drilled a bunch of holes in it and pour Floetrol through it and see what happens out of it. But like trying to develop out that like kind of next signature look. So I know you said I don't have a signature style because um, any signature style I would do would feel like it was in some way copying somebody else or or at the best just kind of like merging two styles together. It's like, oh, you're the person that does like uh, flow trawl swirls in the center and then masks the outside and does spin dies on the outside. And it's like I'd, if I had a signature style, I would want it to be truly unique. So trying to push towards that. <laughs> Yeah, I feel I feel like that's kind of a, a, a deep down secret hidden goal of many divers is like, I want to come up with the next greatest thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And the only way you're going to do that is just try to push your boundaries. Yeah. Mess around and find out. I'm excited, though, because in the grand scheme of things, disc dying is relatively new. I mean, it's been a, around for a while, but I feel like a, there's an exponential curve of more people getting in, into it. Maybe it's this way on the camera. Um, but I'm excited to see what people come up with in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there, there's people that innovate on styles um, every day and it's really exciting to see. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, again, the, the COVID boomer disc dyer, but I still feel um, if you, if you started dying, then you're kind of, an old timer now <laughs> it's only been what three years Jeez. yeah um so do you have any tips or tricks that you would like to give uh either beginner disc dyers or um some old people like me <laughs> i would say um the main thing is experiment and be curious um and really just try things out um that that's the only way you're really going to advance your own artwork. Um, but also the only shot you ever have at innovating on something. Um, we all, we all dream of like, you know, you get the stories of invention of, Oh, I left this flow trial bed out for three days and my beer fell into it. Now I got beer <laughs> dyes going on. Who knows if that's a thing? Somebody try it out. Let me know. <laughs> I'm not going to waste good beer in a flow trial bed, but that, that kind of attitude is is how you advance things and how you find things out. Um, the other key to that, though, is if you want to do it again, take notes. I can't stress it enough. In the course, I stress there's whole sections on note taking. Um, if you want to be if you want to improve that consistency, write down what you're doing. It doesn't need to be super scientific. It can be some things to just jog your memory. The more accurate your notes are, the higher chance you have at repeating. Um, I had commission work recently that was like, match the uh, match this disc that you did 40 discs ago for me. I want to have two more for my buddies. And it's like, well, I didn't write down what red I used. I'm guessing it's this red. It wasn't that red. But I had taken <laughs> notes on it. Um, and I do that through, if you look in my Instagram posts, I'll... I kind of don't do it as much nowadays, but in the beginning I'd be like, I used pro chem blah and blah and blah and used worm dip or this mixture just so I could go back and reference it. Um, I've, I've kind of laxed on taking my notes a little bit, um, but I should, I should, even I should <laughs> start taking notes a little bit better. Um, so that that's another tip. The other one is art is subjective. So what you come up with, 
even if it doesn't work for you, and I and I have seen this over and over again where I've like, this isn't my best work. And then Instagram algorithm thinks otherwise. It, it's, <laughs> you know, some of my lo- most liked posts are just like, oh, this was really resonating with people. Um, I was like, okay, cool. I guess you all like it. Um, I didn't. But what looks good to you might not look good to somebody else. And what doesn't look good to you might look great to somebody else. Um, we all have different preferences. My brother, any disc that's remotely teal, he will probably gravitate towards. <laughs> um, I super like every like nuke green royal purple color screen scheme. I love that like green purple and I haven't dyed anything with it yet. I need to get on that. I die for myself very uh, infrequently, but and I'll hark back to like my last tip um, and we'll quote the great uh, differences doing it. Bobby is you just get out there and do it. Um, just send it and see what happens. Absolutely. Again, it's not going to be perfect. Just do it. Get started. Just do it. I think you inadvertently took notes for yourself, but I do think that helps other people when you post what colors you use for dyes. Um, when I do a dye, I try to post as much information as I can to explain what I did, how I did it, and what colors to help other dyers when they see that this is like, oh, cool. How'd you do that? There you go. Yeah, exactly. Saves, saves you reaching out. I will say to that, every person I've ever reached out to, super helpful. This community is great. Um, just ask them what color you used if they did post it. But if you want to save yourself some DMs, uh, just post it in there and, uh, you know, you're more shy people who wouldn't reach out anyways. They'll just see it and they'll innovate on it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter how popular a disc dyer is. The majority of everybody is very willing to help someone else. So don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's some people that I'm sure are keeping their little secrets stashed away, but you can have your secrets. (laughs) (laughs) If I, if I find out how you did it, I'm going to share it open source style. (laughs) Yes. Uh, we can only grow each other together if we share stuff. And that's why I feel like the past few years, this dying has grown and the styles have, you know, evolved as people sharing that information. And like I said before, the exponential curve is, um, I feel like at the very beginning of this dying, people were holding on to their secrets. So the progress was very slow, but yeah. Um, if you were to start this dying today, is there anything that you would do differently knowing what you know now? I think the cliche answer to that is, oh, I wouldn't change anything because I'd be a different person, blah, blah, blah. But Mm -hmm. yes, uh, absolutely would invest in a heat lamp ASAP. Um, If you want, I I think pretty much any style of dyeing with the exception of shaving cream specifically can benefit from just heating the disc up. Um, A little side note, when we were, when I was developing the course, um, I didn't originally start with the color theories course. I started with a like mechanics of dying discourse where I was going into like different thermoplastics and stuff like that. And then I realized I am making this course for myself and like three other people probably, <laughs> and no one would want to listen to it. But, um, it, it did a lot of research into, uh, you know, how dispersed dye interacts with plastic and things of that nature. Anyways, the, the TLDR of that entire course, I will give away for free. Heat makes dye apply real quick. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so if you're impatient or just want to um, 
you know, die discs faster, churn discs faster, get better saturation. Um, and, and some of it's just mechanics. Like if you're talking about lotion, as your disc sits there, if you're making it sit 24, 48 hours, that disc is slowly going to sink. The die is slowly going to spread out. You're going to get blurs. If you just accelerate that process, get it to apply to the disc as fast as possible and pull it out, then you're going to have much cleaner lines, much crisper things. A heat lamp is a true utility. I would caution people to buy a quality heat lamp. Unlike the first one I had where the bell fell out onto the concrete floor and be safe <laughs> about using your heat lamps, um, monitor them, um, get one that is reliable, probably made for like, I think like chicken brooding is probably one of the more common things for heat lamp. Um, so I would do that. The other thing I would say is a utility sink. <laughs> if you didn't have one, maybe consider getting one there. It's probably the most useful part of my dying setup is having a junk area that is nowhere near my food to just, and I, and I've always had the utility sink, but keep, keep your dye stuff separated from your food stuff is my other safety tip of the day. So to touch on some of the things that you said, heat on every dye besides shaving cream, I might have to disagree because I want to test preheating a disc for the shaving cream mound to see if that helps taking the dye faster. I um, suspect it would. Yeah, I'm very curious to see the results for that. I, um, I also suspect it might um, squish out the shaving cream too quick, like almost like a hot knife through butter kind of situation. Hmm. Because like, isn't for most shaving cream, like there's whole devices to like warm up the shaving cream yeah. to get it more pliable and, I don't okay. know. We're okay. going to mess around and see what happens. Heat up disc, freeze shaving cream <laughs> combined. <laughs> now, um, now that's interesting. This is the innovation we're talking about. Frozen <laughs> shaving cream. I don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Like as you put a hot disc on that, that could, I don't even know if you can freeze shaving cream. I think it has alcohol in it. <laughs> well, we're going to find out. <laughs> um, the other thing that I want to mention is, have you looked or considered a dehydrator instead of a heat lamp? I've seen people doing that, um, yeah, for like a more consistent um, temperature control as well. Um, I don't have a dehydrator currently that I could sacrifice to that. But if I'm if I'm yard sale picking and I see somebody who wanted to make jerky and couldn't quite <laughs> stick with it uh, and is selling their dehydrator for twenty bucks, yeah, I'll pick it up. I'll try it out. Yeah. Um, again, with the food safe thing, don't mix dying food. Yeah, yeah. Don't reuse that <laughs> dehydrator for anything is is you're, a great idea. I will say, now that you got me thinking, I have a 3D printer that's busted, but the heat bed still works. So I could keep it contained in that. Oh, you, man, you're getting my gears turning. Jeez. <laughs> it's it's a really old, defunct 3D printer company. It was called Solid Doodle, but they had like really nice enclosures uh, mm. to it. Um, so it would be an enclosed space with a heat bed. So it would heat from the bottom um, and you could really fine grain control the temperature on that. You literally can because yeah. you can set the temperature of the bed. Yeah. Um, it's like a glorified seating mat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that gets to much higher temperatures if you yeah, want it wow. to. I, again, never thought of that. <laughs> um, 
as I look at my 3D printer, I don't want to fuck yeah. it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I feel like heating from the top is better than from the bottom. Yeah, I feel like, especially with cells, you'll get more movement. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would matter for glue, though. Because mm. glue doesn't really move. Um, at least I've not seen it move that much. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Again, another thing that I got to test is I like the heat from the top because you're you're getting the disc warm to make it accept the dye better. And if it's coming from the bottom, you're heating the bed that can unnecessarily heat for current or convection to move that stuff around unnecessarily but um yeah more to the point if you're using clear glue all those little tiny non-surface bubbles are going to expand and move up to the top because that's how heat works so are you going to get a billion little bubbles who knows nobody knows the answer to that because nobody's tried it yet not yet that's what you gotta work towards (laughs) um so back to the f- food safe thing, a, a thing that um, when you mentioned the utility sink, if you don't have a utility sink, you can get, um, I, I just got one like two weeks ago, like a portable uh, foldable sink that people use for typically like camping or fishing. Um, so you can get one of those. So you have like a dedicated place to rinse off discs. Oh, that's really cool. I've debated um, trying to get, I haven't vended at a tournament yet. But I figured to keep myself uh, sane during the process, I would want to do some sort of disc dyeing there. Um, So but I was like, oh, I use so much water and like rinse off discs and stuff all the time during various dyeing processes. I was like, well, how would I handle that (laughs) there? Um, But that's an interesting idea. You get like the little camper sink and, uh, you know, just a bunch of blue five gallon jugs of water. And that, that should be enough to do, you know. 10 discs or whatever during an eight hour tournament. That's the reason why I got it is when slash if I ever go to event to die discs to rinse off whatever I need to rinse off. Um, and that, that I can send you, um, I'll probably post it on the dyers guild soon, but, um, like that portable sink was only a hundred dollars, which isn't that bad, but I also got a foot pump <clears throat> to pump the water. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, really simple, really affordable, and just five-gallon buckets to hold the clean water and the wastewater. Yeah. Wow. You, I like you. You spark yeah. my, you spark joy in me. <laughs> I think I think we would, I, I, I got the vibe that we would get along. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, I learned a lot of dye-specific things from Chris today, but let's get to know him more on a personal level. All right, the next section that we have is favorite fave. What is your favorite band or song? So it's not particularly a band. It's um, a DJ, uh, the White Panda, um, and he does mashup albums. Um, So he has probably about six or seven, uh, if you search the White Panda on YouTube, um, mashup. I I think of it as like the hyper-threading of music, of you get two or three things going on at the same time. Um, And I just, I really like that mixture. Um, Listen to that stuff all the time while disc golfing. Um, Additionally, really like uh, Caravan Palace for kind of electro swing stuff. And uh, Lindsey Sterling is great uh, rock violinist. So really cool stuff there. Genre bending things where it's like, you know, the violin is the lead in this rock kind of group. And it's like, those things tickle my brain in a good way. Yes. 
Um, do you like the Trans Siberia Orchestra? Because I can I do. I got that. to see them live one. Oh, nice. I've seen like three concerts in my life, and you have picked the one that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Trans Siberian Orchestra is great. Nice. Uh, do you listen to music when you die? Um, usually no. I listen to uh, podcasts mainly. So this how, one specifically. I was, I was say, that's how you got to listen to all of them. I, I, I listen to, I'll plug uh, Max Fun Network as well. Um, all the McElroy um, shows and um, Judge John Hodgman and a bunch of other things. But I, I am a podcast addict. <laughs> nice. Um, what Question for me. What is your podcasting app of listening choice? It used to be Apple Default. Apple Default is not very good. Um, I, I switched to Overcast, though. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Over Overcast is a really nice one. It has some of the more advanced features of, like, you can cut dead air um, and, like, it, it manages what you've listened to much better. So, Yeah, Overcast is awesome if you are listening to this and looking for another awesome podcasting listening program thingamabobber <laughs> pot podcatcher <laughs> yes that. your podcatcher of choice that's a weird name just podcast in general yeah it's, it's what a is radio a show what are we casting <laughs> <laughs> whatever uh what is your favorite food uh my favorite food uh definitely sushi um i love it <laughs> uh philly rolls really really good um just like straight pieces of fish sashimi Love that spicy tuna. There's, there's not really been a sushi I haven't liked yet. <laughs> nice. Uh, do you have a favorite place that you like to get that? Um, there was a place in. I'm pretty close to Philadelphia. Um, it was called the Pod. The P O D. Um, had really cool vibes. I don't know if it's still there. It's been a while. Um, but it had like um Samurai Jack playing on like all their screens at all times um has like it, it's like a pure stark white restaurant with like neon glowy colors and stuff really cool place um down in philly and sushi's pretty great too so nice uh where are you located i'm so i'm about an hour north of philadelphia now in, in okay. the burbs yeah. Right on. yeah what is your favorite beverage I am a Coke Zero addict. Um, I will drink that forever. If the apocalypse happens, yeah. I will be the guy in the grocery store looking for that last 12 pack of Coke Zero. <laughs> what is the difference? I guess I don't know, but what is the difference between Coke Zero and Diet Coke? Um, it tastes different <laughs> is, is the best way I can describe it. Diet Coke is definitely more acidic. It has like that more acidic twang. Mm. Um, I will also say like my second favorite diety Coke product is Coke uh, diet caffeine free Coke because it is way more acidic. So it's either I want like a mellow acid water experience or or really tuned up to the max. <laughs> huh. I guess I never tried uh, Coke Zero before. Yeah, that's good. So besides disc golf and disc dying, what other hobbies do you have? I have many, <laughs> um, too many to count. Um, I play a lot of video games. Um, my the current one I log the most hours in is Escape from Tarkov, uh, which is simulationist kind of shooter game. Um, it's really really fun. 
The other thing I do a lot of, I do a ton of gardening. Um, every year I try to, I have probably close to 60 square feet of like really fertile gardening area that I, uh, do stuff that uh, grow in anything from watermelons to carrots and just try to produce as much of the, my food as I can. And, uh, love doing that photography. Um, that's like probably my first true artistic expression stuff. I've never been a good drawer or painter or anything like that. Um, but really like taking photography, um, or really like doing photography and taking pictures, specifically macro photography. So like hyper zoomed in of like bugs and dragonflies and stuff like that. I love dragonflies. So doing photography and yeah, that's Tons awesome. Of hobbies. When uh, when are you going to start your um, garden this year? Like what ti- what time of year do you typically start? It, it, it's about now. Yeah. Um, so I have a, one of my experiments this year with gardening is I overwintered some pepper plants. So pepper plants like green peppers and hot peppers. I made a bunch of hot sauce last year. Um, peppers are perennials. Um, but up here in, uh, you know, where I'm at in zone six or eight, I'm not really sure. Um, they would die off in the winter and go to crap. So what you can do is you can trim them down like you would prune them down to basically like they're like Y branches and stuff like that. Took them into the basement so they go dormant and like stay cool. And apparently if you keep watering them like every two weeks and they get some like bounced around sunlight, like my basement has like these uh, glass things that let a little bit of light in. Apparently you can take them back outside and plant them and they'll bounce back. So hmm. that's my experiment this year. The other experiment I want to try is grafting a tomato plant on top of a potato plant. Because they're <laughs> both from the same family. Mm. So that in theory should work. Hmm. And I just I just planted some apple trees and those are a whole you can do all sorts of grafting nonsense with that. So I want I wanted to try my hand at grafting this year. Huh. That's awesome. Um Curious to see how the pepper plant goes because I don't think I've ever heard of that. So I do gardening as well. Um, I have, I created these really cheap raised garden beds that are well, like three foot tall by three foot wide by eight foot. I got three of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like that would help cut the time down to grow the pepper to get the peppers faster. Yes. I think I'm, I'm in zone like 5A, I think. Yeah. Um but yeah, that's awesome. I don't I think the zones get lower as you go up. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. So yeah. you you would be a little higher than me. Yeah. yeah. So I I'm, I'm at either 6 then I think probably if I had to guess. Yeah. I Again, like you, I have many hobbies and I like gardening because I want to try to be as self-sufficient as possible. Yeah, it's a good goal. Um and honestly, you can't beat the freshness of like a tomato you've picked 30 seconds before using it. <laughs> My favorite thing is I grow cherry tomatoes and I just go out in the garden and pop some of those like, Oh, they're so good. Just pop them. That uh sugar snap peas are my yes. gardening guilty pleasure of choice of just go out, harvest them, snack on them. while while doing the rest of my gardening. Um, do you start the seeds uh, outside or do you have them inside? 
I should be starting them inside and they should be starting right about now, um, which is late March. I don't know when this goes out, mm-hmm. um, but uh, a, a lot of my stuff I direct. So um, I, I've been doing a lot of potatoes recently just because mm-hmm. I like potatoes, uh, specifically purple potatoes. Um, and potatoes are interesting because they're like kind of meant to just like you could just leave them out there over winter, like just leave a couple and they'll come up next year. <laughs> the, nature nature is good. I like uh shooting around what the Jeff Goldblum life finds a way. <laughs> uh, I, I know people talk about like not having a green thumb or whatever, but like you almost have to actively work against it at that point to not get things to grow. Yeah. It's not necessarily that hard. Yeah. Unless you completely forget about it for like a couple months. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, this isn't a gardening podcast, so we're going to move on. <laughs> Uh, next section, Lee Perfect Hole. What has been your favorite course and or hole that you've played so far? So there's a really interesting one by me um, called uh, Bootleggers. Bootleggers Cave, I think it's called. Um, and they are the home of the bootlegger basket. Um, so in Pennsylvania here, we're in kind of Appalachian country. Um, this and moonshiners and bootleggers and all that's kind of steeped in here. Um so bootleggers is neat because it's kind of the terrain you get around here for most disc golf courses that sometimes go off the beaten path where there's a lot of like Appalachian rock mountain formations. This this course is probably more rock than trees, and it has a lot of trees in it as well. Um, so there's some really interesting holes, and um, they have these bootlegger baskets, which is a tire, an old rubber tire um, as the bottom of it and then they have um you know normal chains and stuff to kind of help catch it but uh they are definitely these homemade type baskets so there's one hole i think it's like five on there where you it's an elevated basket where they've drilled into just a solid piece of rock so it's an elevated basket all around you crags and rocks everywhere um super easy to just have a disc like slide under the rock and go into a cave basically there but you are death putting uh up onto a rock that if you miss it is going to hit stone probably roll away (laughs) and you're not going to have a good time but just it's a super cool course in general that sounds like a really fun terrain to uh play disc golf on yeah yeah it's interesting there's there's another hole on um camp olympic um it's kind of up near allentown um and it is again big rock in the way and your your shot there is throw a thumber 90 feet in the air (laughs) to to kind of grenade lob up to the hole Uh, i don't know how you get there that's not up and over the rock nice i also feel like those type of trains would be dangerous um what was that movie where the guy had to cut off his arm because he got stuck in there? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, like 72 yeah. hours or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's awesome. Yeah. Next section, dream date. If you had to pick a pro disc golfer to play around with and hang out with, who would it be and why? I think I would go with uh, Scott Stokely. Um, specifically right now if you follow what he's doing right now he's over in japan i think he's touring out of the country for the next three years doing disc golf um outside of the u.s so he's having a blast right now apparently (laughs) um but he he just seems um i mean he's been around the game forever so i feel like the amount of stories you could have in around 
with him would be awesome. Um, after my injury, um, which I got while throwing backhand all the time, every shot I did was backhand. I didn't have a forehand. Um, gravitated towards his videos to like, I mean, he was the forehand distance. I mean, he still has an amazing forehand. So his form videos, how he like explains and teach it. I mean, he's a teacher as well. Right. So how he explains, you know, how you want to think about the mechanics of a forearm, um, just really gravitating towards that. Um, seems like a really genuine person as well. Um, when I first kind of learned about him, he was playing like a skins match and it was like, he was going to donate all of his uh, all of his skins money to, you know, I think it was autism awareness. Um, and it was just like, that's a cool vibe. Honestly, um, I I donate all of my disc golf stuff to charity as well. And I'd say he was a pretty big influence on like switching to that mindset of, you know, just use it to spur on and help other people. That's awesome. Um, great choice. And I didn't realize he was out of the country for um going to be that long interesting yeah he's been I, it's at least this year i yeah. and i think i heard him say it several but <laughs> we'll see i i'd love to go out of country and uh i'd love to go out of country and tour i don't know like sweden <laughs> that would be awesome right <laughs> yeah. per, per square footage of like disc golf <laughs> you know it would be awesome it would be <clears throat> All right. Well, I know I've learned a lot and my mind has been blown today. And I hope you have, you had to have taken something out of this podcast. So what Chris will be doing is raffling off a disc. So if you want to help support him and his dying habit, you can buy this lovely disc for as little as $1. So I know I said supporting him, but what he is going to be doing is he is actually going to be donating all the funds and proceeds for this disc to a few charities so uh chris if you want to explain a little bit about this dyed disc and what charities this will be going to yeah absolutely so keeping on brand for cool cat dyes uh so we got the sugar skull like candy skull cat um and spin dyed a little bit on the back there but uh yeah we have this uh disc here and it's uh, everything i dye goes out to um Cat, local cat charities uh the specific one i work with is called stray cat blues um and they do a ton of great work around here just to plug a little example of what they did uh recently around valentine's day uh there was a cat around here that uh got shot by an arrow and they looked for this thing for eight days most places i feel like would get would give up after a very short period of time, if, if you heard that story, but it, these people are super dedicated. They do a ton of great work, work and um, trap, neuter, release, um, but also uh, getting adoptable kittens out to forever homes. And all three of my cats came from there. So That's awesome. So I know I knock on cats a lot. I don't hate cats. I actually do like cats. So, you know, if you want to... <laughs> help support a uh, a great cause and get an amazing die disc that i would highly recommend you throw if you win it um but wow that is a really cool die it looks it's like hypnotizing um, it's really cool um I, a lot of this detail work is done in the worm dip uv so if you shine a uv ooh. light on it a lot of the flowers really pop in that uv it's really cool looking we'll, we'll get some awesome. good pictures up uh, you know, it sucks for this because for ethical reasons, I really can't get these discs that I raffle off. I'm like, damn it, I want it. Um, 
but you can get this awesome die discs and help support some of those causes uh, for as little as $1. So the raffle will go live when this podcast is released and will be live for two weeks. So if you head to dyersguild.co slash raffle, you can find this raffle. So again, great job on that die. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see uh, what we can drum up for some, some monies on that. Yeah, let's go. Help out those kitty cats. I also yeah. like dogs, too. Um, it's just right now we're supporting kitty cats. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll get um, the dog folks involved as well. <laughs> yeah, we already have Tar Heel. He, uh, he did oh, one of yeah. those. Yeah, I was listening through that literally right before that. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know about dog golf and stuff like that. That's yeah. super cool. <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot there. So uh, we like all animals. Honestly, all animals except for birds. <laughs> um. I digress. Um, Chris, again, it was a pleasure having you on. I'm glad you took some time out of your day to be on this little tiny podcast here. Um, and where can people find your work if they want to check some stuff out? They can find me on Instagram at cool cat dies, uh, all one word. Uh, you can also find me on discdying.com. I have a little storefront there. Um, cool cat dies of the same name and as we plug you can find me on the dyersguild.co uh, and you can find the course that i did on color theory again just search for cool cat dies yeah I, i'm really excited for this course and again i think i believe that everybody should go through it even if you if you know color theory you will take something away from it so i'm really excited yeah so am i thanks so much for having me on all right guys until next time we'll talk to you later